Before we get into the message, Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He gave him a tenth of all. That is the introductory passage into this scripture today, all of chapter 15. I read that because we must remember the blessing that Abram received. The blessing that Abram received. Because today we are going to speak about the blessed assurance that Abram got. The blessed assurance that Abram got. It is a significant section of Scripture, 21 verses, not the longest we've done in this series so far in Genesis, but there is a lot to cover. A number of things you may not be familiar with, one of which is blood covenants, which we will speak briefly about, or maybe a little bit more than briefly during this message, because they are important. But if we remember the blessing that Abram received from Melchizedek, And it says in verse 1 of chapter 15, after these things, after the rescue of Lot, the war with the kings, after the blessing of Melchizedek, after he turned down the gift of the wicked pagan king, it says, after these things, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. The word of God came to Abram in a vision. After these other things occurred, after this victorious battle was won, after the nephew was returned, after the tithing was given to Melchizedek, the word of the Lord came to Abram. We certainly cannot forget that when we speak about God's word, God has chosen to speak to us. He has chosen to give us words to understand. It is the thing that makes us different than all the rest of creation. We have comprehension of the spoken and the written word. God has given us his scripture Moses has written down what the story is in Genesis so far for us so that we know what has happened and what is going to happen. Yes, God does perform signs and wonders at times. But in reality, there are far more words written in the Scripture than there are signs and wonders that have been given up until this point in time. The normal way for God to communicate is through His Word. Because Abram does not have the written Word yet, God has come to him in a vision to speak with him. Cognitive words and speech that God uses to to move in men. And it says right there, 
Do not fear, Abram. Do not fear. The first thing he says to Abram after these things have occurred, after the victorious, uh, after he's victorious in this battle with the with the kings, do not fear, Abram. And we'll just stop there just for a brief moment and say, well, Abram must be fearing something for God to address it right here. We're going to get it a little bit later on what some of those fears are that Abram has. But God knowing our thoughts, God knowing all of our thoughts, nothing hidden from him, knows that there's fear there. He says, do not fear Abram. Rest easy, Abram. Know that I am the Lord, we can say. Let the anxiety that you have, those thoughts that are running away from you, let those pass away. Do not fear, for I am a shield to you. I am your shield. Psalm 3.3, I think I've said it many times from up here, would, would, would give us a, a picture of this, if you wish to turn there, Psalm 3.3. It's a psalm of David, and he says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, round about me. You are my glory and the one who lifts my head. I would commend you as an aside, there is a sermon that H.B. Charles does on this particular psalm, Psalm 3. I would commend it to everybody in this room to look it up on YouTube and listen to it. It is phenomenal. It will assuade many fears that we might have ourselves, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. Go to Psalm 5, verse 12. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. Or, moving a little bit far, further forward, Psalm 18, 2. You guys will recognize this. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. We want to recognize in this particular passage of Genesis that this is the first time that the Lord has says, has said, do not fear, and then adds, I am a shield to you. The God who spoke creation into existence, the God who spoke and the universe became, this is the one who is the shield of Abram. Not some man like he just battled in the kings who might have a strong army, but the God who created all those beings. The one who created the grass. The sun, the universe, the stars in their courses in the heaven, this God is His shield. I am your shield. I am the one who anything that comes to pass is because of me. Do not fear. What is happening is because of me. And he adds, 
your reward shall be not great, very great. Very great. That is specific in the Hebrew there. Very great. Large. Exceedingly great. The one who protects him says that your reward, your blessing is going to be phenomenal. In fact, the blessing will keep running after you have passed away. It is a blessing without calculation. One that he could probably not fully comprehend, even when it is happening to him. God is giving Abram assurance of what is going to happen, giving him an assurance in trusting in him, giving him assurance in what will come to pass. We must remember that God chose Abram when he was a pagan. We cannot forget that. Abram wasn't a good God worshiper when the Lord came to him first. He was a pagan worshiping foreign gods. It was that God, Yahweh, who came to Abram and said, I am going to make you a great nation. I am going to give you a great land. And it's going to be all for God's glory. Genesis 13, 16, which we'll probably come back to back and forth a few times. You don't necessarily need to turn there, but just know it in your scripture. That God says, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Don't fear. I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. We could even say very, very great here. God knows what's playing at the strings of Abram's heart right at the moment. Do not fear. I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. And then we drop into just a little bit of miss where I want to actually bring this into play just so we know. The fear that Abram has is revealed. The problem is revealed in verse 2. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. So herein lies the fear. Herein lies the problem. The Lord has promised great generations to him, yet he and his wife are barren. His wife, and his wife Sarai and him are barren. They can't have children. Now, I want you to understand that we sometimes make mistakes in thinking that we are smarter than ancient people. Yes, we might have more technology, but trust me, they understood intimately well how children were not only made, but how they were born. 
This is an insurmountable problem in Abram's mind. You have promised this to me, God. You have said you are my shield. And you know what, God? I knew you were my shield when I went against these kings. But you said my reward will be very great. And I can understand maybe getting the land. But, but this whole thing of descendants, this is a problem because we can't have kids. The best I have is perhaps an adopted man, Eleazar of Damascus, in my household. Even my nephew is no longer counted among my people at this moment. We know that because he hasn't mentioned his nephew, Lot. Since you, you, God, have given me no offspring, you said you were going to do this thing. You have given me no offspring. Abram has... At this point, right here in this story, no assurance. Or we could maybe say he doesn't have full assurance of what God is going to do. He certainly did understand what the Lord was saying. He would have understood the words about the great generations that would come. He has a problem with how. He has a problem with where. And my wife and I are getting older every day. I don't see how this can come to pass. The only thing I have is this foreign man that's in my house. We might say, like the father in the New Testament, Lord, I believe, but you must help me with my unbelief. You must help me with my unbelief. And then behold, it says in verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man... Eleazar will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. This is the man who shall be your heir. And right here, I just have a little bit of an issue before when I was going to introduce this idea. What we're running into now is a covenantal thing that's coming up. And this is what we're going to see here is a blood covenant. I'm going to read a couple things. You don't need to write them down. We can talk at another time, but just to kind of vector us in. We see blood covenants throughout the Scripture. We're going to talk about another one specifically further on. There are always eight elements into a blood covenant in some time and night. In the blood covenants themselves exist everywhere in the world. In every culture of the world, all throughout the world, and seemingly contain these elements that are there. And the reason why I'm introducing it right here to see it is we see that the word of the Lord came and it says, this man shall not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. This is part of the blood covenant. We know the parts of the blood covenant go like this. People will exchange robes or coats saying that one is wrapped up in the other. I am part of your family, you are part of mine. 
They would take off their belt and offer it to each other. The belt contained their sword or their knife saying, I am your protection. We just heard that with about the shield. The Lord is my protection, right? They would cut the covenant, which we'll see in a little bit later, and I'll explain that. Blood would flow. Scars would be made to show that the covenant existed. They would exchange names. They would give terms of the covenant, which is what we see here. One of the terms that the covenant is given. We've seen one with the regard to the shield. We see another with the giving of the descendants. They would eat a memorial meal, and I would say that you already saw this when he gave met Melchizedek, because these things can happen in any order, at any time. So that gives you the basic of the eight. Sometimes a tree is planted, but that's not important. What is important is that we see a term of the covenant. I'll be your shield. Your reward will be great. I'm giving you descendants outside from your body. The beginnings of this blood covenant, it is a covenant that lasts to all the generations of the people involved, the two that come together, all the generations. It doesn't isn't just here in the here and now. It goes ad infinitum to all the descendants, it would say, until someone breaks that covenant. Okay? It is set in place. It is more than a promise. Far more than a promise. We see elements of a blood covenant, covenant with a marriage too. Many things uh, of that find their basis in this sort of thing. It is binding in nature. And it's going to give Abram assurance. And we'll say blessed assurance in what God will do. Now, as we go to the next section, he says in verse 5, that he, God, took him, Abram, outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you were able to count them. And he said, So your descendants shall be. If you could throw up those two pictures I put in there. Uh, right at the moment, just an idea. This picture and the next one, uh, both pictures of the Milky Way that my son took. Uh, if you could count the stars in that small picture, which I'm going to tell you right now, you can't. We could look at that for the next 10 days and you will not be able to count all the stars in that picture. And I'm going to tell you right now that what Abram's seeing in the sky with zero light pollution around is incomprehensible. God is showing him the great reward that is coming, not only my shield, but this is the great reward. Look up, Abram, at what I have created. Look at the stars that I have set in their places, in their courses, that I have named. Look at them, and if you could count them all, and don't forget that I know all their names, for I am the Lord God, right? If you could count them all, so your descendants shall be like that. That's how many there will be. An incomprehensible number, Abram. This is the term of the covenant that I'm giving to you. When you see what will happen next, you will be assured of what I will do. Now 
One of the critical parts we find in this scripture with Abram's fear is we could say to ourselves, we suffer the same thing. We hear what God is going to do, and then we fear because we don't fully understand how God is going to do it. Or we get anxious about how God is going to do it. But here, Abram said, help me with my unbelief. The help's coming. Look at the stars, number one. Come outside of your tent that you, that you put here at the Oaks of Mamre, where you built the altar. Come outside and walk away from the campfire. Walk up here away from your servants. Walk out to this field with me, up to the top of this hill, and look. I want you to look at the sky. I said the reward would be great, Abram. And I just want you to look from, uh, from right to left, uh, east to south, north to west. I want you to look all around. I want you to see everything from one horizon to the next. The stars that encapsulate that sky. And if you could count all these in your lifetime, this is what your descendants will be like. This is what I, the Lord God, am doing. And don't forget, I'm the one who created everything. It's interesting that God is using something out of his own creation to point to what he's going to do through Abram. It says, right after, so your shall so shall your descendants be, he says, then he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he, Yahweh, God, reckoned it to him as righteousness. Lord, help me with my unbelief. And he is believing what the Lord will do. He is believing what the Lord will do. We know that the Lord God is the author of our faith. He is the one that writes it upon our hearts and cognitively allows us to understand that faith. If we just take a brief moment and look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. The author and perfecter of faith. God is the author of that faith that, that Abram now has. And then he says in verse 7, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And he said, O Lord God, Abram said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? How may I know that I will possess it? So we are getting terms of covenant right now. But how will I know? Now, let me just say this about covenants. When we see them throughout the Scripture, they are so well known what is happening that you do not need to name every part for the reader to know what is happening. Sometimes you'll see it in the scripture and it'll only be one or two, one or two verses at, at most. 
We see it with David and Jonathan. There was a blood covenant between them. We see that result there. They were much more versed in what these covenants meant than we are. Because in general, we don't live in a covenantal society. Or we have a, we, we tend to lessen what covenants mean. We tend to think that they're like, well, I promised to pick you up at the airport. We think it's the same thing, but it's not. It's far greater and deeper than that. And here we see when he says, how do I know I will possess this great reward? You know, they're not back in the tent. They're still standing outside. The backdrop is still the sky with all the stars twinkling and blinking. Right? How will I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. In verse 10 it says, then he brought all these to him, to the Lord, to Yahweh, and cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. So they would take these animals, cut them in half, they're laid opposite each other like this. Generally, the two parties would stand on either side of this. Okay? But I want you to remember that the Lord alone is doing this. As you'll notice, the terms given, it isn't a back and forth. This is fully unconditional. It is God alone enacting this covenant. God alone enacting this covenant. God is now assuring Abram through the gift of belief. He is assuring Abram what is going to happen. Again, these things are found throughout the ancient world and all the continents. It is not just a semantic thing. There is not a specificity to the order in which they happen. It's far more than goodwill or a promise. And when we see the animals cut in half, we are seeing a cutting of the covenant. We are seeing a cutting of the covenant. It is fascinating then that it says, at least I think so, in verse 11, that the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Just a little detail that is thrown in here. We don't want to read too much into it. I've seen some, some wild things that have been written about this. That this is like Abram chasing away Satan and all those sort of things. But it doesn't say that. All it says is that the birds of prey came down upon these dead animals and Abram chased them away. And look at verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. He is The assurance is now coming to Abram. This deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Abram is having no part of this covenantal ceremony. He is unable to do anything for it because it's God alone who's doing it. God alone is making this covenant. God alone is is making the terms. God alone 
is swearing by himself and only of himself for this. It says at 13, God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. We know that we're given a broad term of 400 years here. We know that the actual number is about 430 years till God starts working using Moses to bring them out of Egyptian slavery. Verse 14, But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. We know that the Egyptians gave them gold, and many other things, to leave. <laughs> Please, take it with you. If you will just leave and take these plagues along with you, right? 15, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. We see a shadow of heaven right here. Notice how he doesn't say you will be buried in old age. He says you will go to your ancestors indicating that there is more than just what we see here. We'll see references to this particular verse in the New Testament also. Terms of the covenant given. Terms and God is doing the giving. We will note that typically between two parties of men in a blood covenant, the terms would go back and forth. I will do this, you will do that, we agree to it. One way here, all unconditional, all God is swearing by himself. All God swearing by himself. The stronger party in a blood covenant will also assume all the debts and liabilities of the other party. We will see that play out through Jesus. There is nothing that we can do for God. Yeah, and let me rephrase that. We are called to worship God. We are called to glorify God. But He does not need that from us. We as believers need that. To worship the true God. To worship our Lord and Savior. Job 22.2 says, Can a vigorous man be of use to God? Or a wise man be useful to himself? Or Acts 17.25, the Apostle Paul nor is he, God, served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. So it makes sense that our Lord God would make this covenant in and of himself to bring about to pass what he is going to bring about to pass so that the reward will be great for Abram. Abram is asleep so he cannot do anything for this. It says in 16, then in the fourth generation there will be a return from there will return here 
they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Verse 17. Came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven, and a flaming torch was passed between the pieces. Passing between the pieces, the person would say, May, passing between the pieces, may, if I break this covenant, may worse happen to me than what has happened to these animals. May worse happen to me than what has happened to these animals. Who is passing between these animal pieces? The Lord God himself. This is giving Abram the assurance of what will happen. Even in his faulty human weakness, God is giving him the assurance of the covenant that he is making. God alone is doing everything in this covenant. There is no requirement from Abram. It is fully God laying out the terms and the conditions and saying, even if I, God, were to break this covenant, may worse happen to me than what has happened to these animals. And we know that is impossible. This is what God is doing, working through, condescending to man for understanding and comprehension so that Abram knows the truth of the covenant that is being made. He is assuring Abram of what is coming to pass. Hebrews 6, verse 13 through 14 says the following, For when God made the promise to Abram, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. The only true God giving the blessed assurance to Abram of what will come to pass. That when God says it will be from him that the descendants will come, it is from Abram that the descendants will come. Even if he does not fully understand how this could be at the moment. And then on verse 18, on that day the Lord made a covenant that made is the word cut. We see that consistently used with covenant. That, the, that when he cut the covenant with Abram, to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Cadmonite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Geshirite, and the Jebusite. This is what I'm doing. These are the terms of this covenant. We will see later on, we will see the name exchange that comes in 17. We will see the scarring that is given. Remember, God doesn't have a body. We will see the scarring, the proof of the covenant that is given through circumcision. Spoiler alert. Circumcision wasn't just performed by the Israelites. The Egyptians did it too. And so did other nations. But it's specific the way the Israelites did it. It was a sign of the covenant with the Lord. So what do we make of this story? 
One thing we make of this is that what God says will come to pass will come to pass. God also is fully aware of our fears and our concerns. He fully gave assurance to Abram about what would come to pass, will come to pass, through this covenantal rite that he himself is doing. This covenantal rite that is unconditional for Abram. I am doing this thing through you alone. And I am doing it alone. All the terms and conditions fall upon me, the Lord God. I am doing this. This unconditional covenant. God is a God of promises that come to pass. Promises of which He swears by Himself. He swears by Himself. It is not a partnership where we see each, each performing their duties to bring the promises to pass. In this case, it is God and God alone. Rather, it is God acting in and of and by Himself, bringing about what He deems should come to pass, and He'll do so without erring. Without erring. He ordains both the ends and the means. Man, I don't know. We, don't, we aren't given what Abraham, Abram felt when he woke up. We don't know what his thoughts were when he woke up. What we do know is he still was not a perfect man when he woke up. We'll see that next week in verse 16. We do know that some degree with our faith is about maturing in our faith. God has blessed, blessed us with the Bible. I don't need smoking pots and torches. What I need is Jesus of the Scripture. And the Scripture tells me all about that Jesus. When I start thinking about a different Jesus, I need to go back to the Scripture and say, who is this Jesus? That's where our assurance comes from. So if Abram got the assurance through this covenantal work, this unconditional covenantal work that God gave to him, we get even more assurance for the word that became flesh intended among us. Right? We get that blessed assurance through Christ who was incarnate. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. It's probably not on the screen. Sometimes it's late-breaking news that gets added to the message. Sometimes you're looking over things, you think, man, that really needs to be there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 says, For by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying... This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind. I will write them. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. There are many in this room as believers who can recall or remember how all of a sudden 
God's Word became far more important than it ever was before. How we have grown in knowing God's Word and desiring God's Word. Because He has written that on our hearts, Ezekiel 36.26. He has changed our hearts of stone to a heart of flesh. We have the confirmation of the new covenant in Christ through that. In the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Notice I didn't say it's perfect for us because we are fleshly and we fail at times. But we have a desire to know the Lord and to know His Word and to understand what He is saying to us. We would move further on into Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 23 where it says these words, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. Christ has done what we could not do having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold fast to the confession of Christ Jesus without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. Notice how it doesn't say that man is faithful. It says that Christ in His unconditional work of the cross is faithful. Abram looked for assurance and God gave it to him. God gives us the same assurance through reading the story of Abram and reading the story of Jacob and reading the story of Moses and the Israelites and reading the story of David. In reading about Elijah and Elisha, in reading about Isaiah and Daniel, in reading about John the Baptist, in reading about the apostles, in reading about Paul, in opening our hearts to know who Jesus Christ is as our Lord and Savior, that's where we get our assurance. Because Jesus is not only the covenant maker, but He is also the sacrificial Lamb that confirms the covenant. And He is our risen Savior that shows that His work was accepted by the Father and He now sits on the throne interceding for us. That's where we get our assurance from. And Yes, there are times that we will waver in our assurance. Trust me, when those things come out of the blue that were unexpected, You must turn back to the Scriptures to read about our Savior, the one who says there that we should hold fast to the confession for He who promised is faithful. I would pray that if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that you seek to talk to one of many of us today so that we can tell you about our Lord and Savior 
and point you to the Scriptures that give us assurance of His great work. Let's all bow our heads. Glorious and Heavenly Father, thank You for, wow, just thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the story of Abram. Thank You for what You have done through those initial covenants. Thank You for the new covenant that was enacted through Your Son. We ask that You continue to give us blessed assurance throughout our day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.